this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Well, welcome everyone who's joining online. I know some of you are coming into the stream and those in the building. We try not to make this service uh, something that you can't engage with, but I know that if you're watching online and you just saw what happened, I'm telling you, bodies were touched in this in this time already. So if you haven't received yours yet, then just reach out because he's here and he wants to transform your body. He wants to transform your heart and your mind. And he says in scripture that if evil people know how to give good gifts to their children, then how much more your Father in Heaven knows how to give good gifts to His children. And so I truly believe that if you come today, you come expecting, you want to receive something, you say to the Lord, listen, I'm, I'm going to hang on. I went to a conference one time. I went to a conference and, and I said, Lord, from the time, it was in another country and I was going and, and as soon as the, the wheels of the airplane hit the tarmac, I said to the Lord, I do not want to leave this country. I do not want to leave this place until I have all that you have for me. So what, what does that mean when you say that? Like, that sounds really fun to say. Like, Lord, just, I want all of it. The problem is there's a lot of us that has to get out of the way for him to give all of him. And so that whole week at the conference was me just killing off things and, and dying uh, to myself so that I could receive who he is. And so this morning, not just here, but every time you get in his presence, we know that he's inside of us as believers. If you're not a believer, he will come in and just totally wreck your life in a good way. But, but whenever you take and you make a point to say, I'm going into his presence, as we do together as a family, but when you do that at home in your prayer closet, when you do it in your car on the long drive to work, Whenever you do it, mow in the yard, whatever it is, when you go into that place, I encourage you to say, Lord, I want everything you have for me in this five minutes or everything you have for me in this half hour. And I don't want to leave here until I've received all of it, all of it. And so just I encourage you to do that because he is willing to pour it all out to you because you're his creation and he wants you to be transformed. So we've been in a series called Stand, and we've been doing this for months and months and months, and I know you're not bored of it because every, every week, especially last week, we had a move of God in this place, and, and many people, and I've heard testimonies for people that were healed last week, and uh, people that were delivered from things, and we just, we thank the Lord for that. Uh, we are instruments, so we don't just always say, well, it was the Lord, it was the Lord, it was Him, but He needs physical instruments on the earth to actually implement His will. And so we say, thank you, Lord, for the gift, but we were a part of it, amen? And it's not prideful to say that, but we laid hands on people, people were restored, set free, loose from demonic things, and, uh, and we saw that. But this ministry series that we've been calling Stand has been about uh, characters throughout Scripture that would you would say... I know just by hearing the name that there was a point in their, in their life that they had to stand on something, that they had to actually hold on to a word from God, that they, had to, they were holding on to a relationship, they were holding on to something, and they, they said, this is the line I will not cross. 
This is something I'm just going to stand in. And then we've talked about people that have said, this is the line I will not cross. And then because of pressure, they crossed it. And then they crossed it. Think of Abraham and some of the other people that really, uh, they, they knew what the Lord said, but because it didn't fit in their, in their, uh, their way of life in that moment, they made decisions that would derail that word from God. You know, Abraham didn't have a reproduction problem. He had a faith problem. And because he lacked in faith, he reproduced with the wrong person. And we're still watching today around the world. You're watching in, in, in Israel. You're watching this battle. It's a family feud. It's a family feud between the, 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 uh, the lack of faith and the step in faith and the children that that produced. And we're still watching to this day this conflict around the world where, where they're just trying to annihilate each other. And it says in scripture that this would happen, right? But he didn't, have, he didn't have a reproduction problem because he went to someone else and reproduced immediately. He had a faith problem. And when he actually walked in faith, he produced a generation. And, uh, and so we're excited that we get to talk about another character. And there's, there's so many characters in the Bible we could spend our whole lives just dissecting characters in scripture. But I think that what I want to highlight this morning is that there, is a, there are bigger stories than just the character themselves. There are, there are stories in Scripture in which we can just look at the character, their morality or lack of it, their, their faith, their lack of faith. We can go through all that. But there's one story in particular that the Lord has highlighted to me. I was walking last week. We were at a conference, and, uh, and I was walking the beach in Virginia and uh, at really early in the morning, and, and the Lord just downloaded to me this Scripture. And I've been praying about it and meditating on it, and it was like, no, you're going to read this whole thing this morning and you're going to hear what I have to say and so I'm going to read it to you we're going to dissect the scripture because I believe it has something for us in this hour as the church in America now we've if you've watched any news and the major news outlets don't cover it but there is a problem in the world in which the the governments of the world are coming against the church now we know that it's been happening in other countries for a long time that, that they've burnt down churches, they've, you know, beheaded Christians, they've done all this stuff. And one thing I know, just by being a student of my surroundings, and hopefully you are, because if you just bury your head in the sand and just have the TV on all day, and you're not just observing what, you're just hearing what people tell you and not observing what's really going on, there's one thing I know in, in history of the world, is when America is strong, the world is peaceful. When America is weak, the world becomes just a mess. And so now we're watching the second half of that statement. America has been weak over the last 105 days or whatever it's been. America has been weak and now the world is on fire. They're beheading Christians in countries in the last hundred and some days. They've started beheading Christians and recording it. And sending. we went through many years where that wasn't the case because America was strong. So in this story, I want to highlight not just the person, although as soon as I say the person, you're going to say, I know them, I know them, we've done this before. No, uh, I want you to look at the situation in which this person found himself, and I want to relate it to today. Because I believe that if we don't understand our history, we are doomed to repeat it. And so, by the way, how many of you were at the meal yesterday? Um, there, it was a smaller group yesterday, but what an amazing living history luncheon. Wow, it was, uh, it was 
It was powerful. Uh, we do every month, we do a Living History Luncheon where we come together and we bring a historical reenactor in and they tell history. And uh, man, Fanny Crosby, just an amazing, amazing person. And uh, to hear the, the travail of her life and then to actually meet her. I love Pastor Mike uh, closed the Living History Luncheon by saying, after that, after that presentation, I've met her. I know her. I've been a part of hearing her life in person. And so uh, thank you uh, to the lady who came and did that. And may all blessing be upon her ministry as she goes about portraying biblical characters. But our base scripture for stand has been Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. And in the end of that, it says, and having done all, stand. And having done all, stand. Now, I know that when we hear the word stand, it, is a, it, it would portray in our mind a posture of our body. But I'm going to tell you today that, that standing can be a posture of our body, but standing can also be a physical representation or a spiritual representation of what we're supposed to do in the spirit. We're supposed to hold back things. We're supposed to advance things. And all of that has to only, it can only come because we're standing on truth. Now your foundation, and we've talked about this over and over, your foundation is what everything else is built on. And so we focus here about that foundation. So I want you to turn with me to Nehemiah 1. Now you're going to say he's the wall guy, right? Um, He's the wall guy, but we're going to dig into a little bit about his process. Because I believe that God is calling the church in America. I'm not in charge of the church in any other place, but I'm a part of the church in America. So I have some standing here. I believe that God is calling the church in America to rise up to be the ecclesia, to declare the kingdom of God over this nation, and to change it. You see, I think sometimes we get it mixed up. We think we're just supposed to pray about it, and that's good. I'm not saying we don't pray about it, and we're going to see what he did. But we're supposed to pray about it, but then there's some action that needs to take place, and I think that we've been missing an action. I think the church sometimes is missing an action. So Nehemiah, the little backstory of this, he was the cupbearer to the king. He was like the, the one that the king looked to, and, and he was the one that the king trusted to be in his inner court. Now, as a pastor, I know that my inner court is only so big, and I have to be careful on who I let in my inner court of people of influence around me because they can hurt you. And so he passed the test year after year that he wasn't going to hurt the king. He was of great respect to the king. And so it wasn't this man who was in the, in the sewers of life who God raised up to be this person. He was a man of influence, as you are, because Jesus lives in you. This was located in Persia, and uh, it was a place of prominence. It was, it was not this, we often hear about characters that were brought from nothing. No, this was a place of prominence. And if we read, let's start in verse 3. He receives a message about his family. And it says, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. He received a bad report. He was concerned about his people, and when he got word about what was going on with his people, he got a bad report. 
Now, if you are, if you are alive with a heartbeat in America today, you can look around and understand that there's bad reports every single day. There's bad reports. Now, I'm not going to pick sides, do whatever. I'm just telling you the state of this country is not where it should be. And that if the state of the country is not as it should be, that should tell us that we're receiving a bad report about something that we have authority over. So he's receiving a bad report, and as you read through the rest of the book, we're going to talk about what he had a responsibility to do. But he received a bad report about something that he was passionate about, that he had authority over, that he was called to deal with. And I believe that the church, if the church is listening in this hour and we're, we're hearing the Lord correctly, I will believe that he is telling us there's bad reports all around and you are my authority upon the earth to change that. Now that doesn't just happen in the prayer closet, but that's where he went. It starts there. If you're going to change and awaken a nation, it begins by hearing the report and by being moved. Let's go on to verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. He was moved with compassion. I believe that there was, there was another character in Scripture that the Scriptures tell us he was moved with compassion and miracles happened. It says in Matthew 9.36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The first thing that we must do to restore a nation to its godly heritage is to be moved with compassion. So often we see everything going on around the world and in our country, and we're moved to the next channel. Or we're moved to the next thing we've got to do on our to-do list. But very seldom, very seldom, and I believe it's coming to the church where we will be so moved with compassion that we cannot do anything other than intercede for our country. My hope is that it's not too late when that anointing comes upon the church. So he's weeping, he's mourning, he's saying something has been lost that shouldn't have been lost. The city is in ruin. Let's listen to what he says to the Lord. Verse 5. And I said, I pray the Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them... Though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. 
O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah not only heard a bad report, not only had compassion, but he began to cry out to the Lord on behalf. He began to intercede. This next season of the church will be a season of intercession. I'm not sure how long that will be for us. I, I'm going to put a time frame on it. But, but I believe that the next season of intercession for this country that is coming from the church is going to burst something because God's going to conceive it in our heart before. And in due time, it will produce it goes on to say in chapter 2, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never before been sad in his presence. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? He was so filled with joy that when he came in with the weight of his nation, with the weight of his city, with the weight of his ancestry upon him, this thing that he was interceding for, that it changed his countenance. It completely changed his appearance to the king. Now, does he not have joy? No, he has joy because he knows in the, it says, I'm holding you to the covenant that you gave to Moses. He said, I'm, I'm holding to that covenant. I believe in a covenantal God. I believe in a God that is going to stand up for his side of the deal every time. I believe that as people, we have a hard time doing that. But as a God, he is always always going to stand for what he says. So Nehemiah began to intercede. He, he not only was feeling compassion, but he began to intercede on behalf of those people. Now, I believe that this is the, the prayer that was written, but I, it says for days and days and days and days he was interceding. Sometimes we have trouble for an hour, for 10 minutes, for five minutes, whatever, wherever you fit on the spectrum, it's, it's sometimes hard to intercede. But if we're interceding out of our own inner motivation, that's why it's hard. When God moves on you, when God gives you a burden, it's not hard to go five hours. It's not hard to go eight hours because it's his burden that he's giving you. I believe that the key to Nehemiah's success in transforming this situation was that he believed that his foundation was put in place by a covenantal God. And he knew that God was going to hold up his end of the deal. All he had to do was come into alignment with the plan. And that is where we need to be today. Hebrews 8, 6 says this, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better promises. So if Nehemiah in the Old Testament is saying, I'm going to stand on a covenantal God, I'm going to begin to intercede and declare and make known the, the passion of God and my own passion upon these people. 
How much better today after Jesus has come? That he is the mediator for us. That we should know his covenant. And the better promises that we have now as believers in the new covenant to see things change. You see, the second step in restoring a nation is this, to know the covenant of its founding. Now, we talked about the battle that is going on over this document. The founding of our country is contained in some documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, and I believe the Almighty Bible. And the battle is raging. The walls are burning. The gates are falling down. And it's all because of a covenant with God and the anger of the forever loser. You see, he's not just a loser once to God. He's forever loser in our life. Satan today is forever loser, but he's only going to lose in your life if you're willing to stand upon what Jesus did. Because in Jesus' blood, in Jesus' covenant with us, he dealt forever defeat to the enemy. Now, when you look around the world, you would think that the enemy is running rampant. He's only running rampant because we're derelict of duty. And I believe it's time for the church to rise up. Let's continue on. Then the king said to him, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, it would be so easy to say, well, these are the things that I have on my list because I wrote them in my journal and I've been keeping all this I I wish God list about all my people that I want to go help. And they're all in here. And, you know, if, if I could have that with that kind of vehicle, that would be amazing. It's all in here. And uh, and the king says, what do you wish? Well, he didn't go back to what he wished. He immediately went and said, what is God saying about this situation? I know that many of you wish some amazing things about our country. I know we're interceding for them. We're praying. We want this country back to what it was founded on. We want all that. And, and I have a list of things that I pray about our country and what I want to see God do. But when the king asked, what do you desire? Our job isn't to say, I want this to come back. I want these things to come into alignment. Our job is to say, Lord, what are you saying in this hour? What, do you, what am I supposed to declare? Because from his lips, through our lips, things will be established upon the earth. And so if we're establishing, just like if we're interceding out of our own self, it will not be successful. And so we have to intercede. We have to declare what God is saying and move in that direction. So what did God say? And I said to the king, see, he needs a physical instrument on the earth to communicate what he wants to say. So this isn't Nehemiah saying, this is what I want. He asked the Lord, he heard from the Lord, then he declared what the Lord said and things were established. Let's remember that. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, then I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, there was a witness. Not only is God just a covenantal God and he's going to hold up his end of the deal, he always has witnesses around that are going to make sure that this thing is going to last. How long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. 
Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter of Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Never be shy to do what God has called you to do. You see, so many people are called to greatness. I... So many people are called to do great things. Their destiny is huge in the world. Their destiny is huge in the church. They're supposed to shift nations. They're supposed to shift governments. They're supposed to shift uh, judge seats. They're supposed to shift the whole deal. But they don't do it because they're looking at it from what they bring to the table. Not anything in this part of Scripture does it say that Nehemiah is relying on what he brings to the table. When... The king says, what do you want? He says, God, what do you want? And God said, I want you to have all this lined up because my hand is upon you and all of these things are going to come into alignment because of the people I put in your life are arranging them. So if you're a lone ranger Christian, that's probably why you haven't gotten very far. Because Nehemiah would have never made it through the badlands. He never would have had the wood to rebuild the wall. He never would have done all that if he was a loner. But no, he had authority to walk into those places because of the king. He had the seal. He had it all. He could walk into those places and they knew who he was. I believe that the church is in an identity crisis because number one, we don't know who we are. Number two, we don't know the king that's sending us. And we forgot our letters at home. And so we try to take $17 two-by-fours and try to build something when it would have been given to us. Come on, you're laughing about it, but it's going to get you in a second. We try to build things out of our own substance, and it costs us. Where if we just rely on his arrangement, it's done for us. So never despise what God is calling you to do because you're not worthy or you feel not worthy. Because you are totally worthy or he wouldn't have given you the vision. So then he goes to the governors of the regions beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Interesting that when the Lord sends you on a mission and he gives you credentials, he expects you to use them. When he gives you authority, he expects you to use it. What would have happened if he wouldn't have used the letters? The thing that the destiny that he had would not have been accomplished. Now, we've all been in this scenario before. We've been called to do something great. We've gotten there. We've questioned ourselves. We haven't produced the documentation. And we've missed the destiny for that purpose in that season. And I am ready for a church that says, I am so passionate, I am not missing my destiny for any more seasons. Because he's aligned it for me. He's given me the authority. I have the letters in my pocket and I'm ready to go. Now, what if you get somewhere and you don't have the letters? I got an interesting story for you. How many of you have ever been to Bolivia? 
Yeah, me. I guess just me. And, uh, and well, Bolivia Customs, it, they're very nice people. I don't know Spanish, so I hope they were nice. They were talking in a nice tone. Um, but anyway, we go, and, and we were given this documentation on the trip a couple years ago. We were given this documentation in an email, and it said, fill out page one, two, three, four, five. So the whole team filled out page one, two, three, four, five. And we got all of our documents, our passports. We had all that, getting them stamped again, doing all that stuff. Got our visa paperwork. Go down, land in Bolivia, get off the airplane, walk into customs. And the missionary that was with us says, hey, uh, so let's go through all your paperwork. Which we probably should have done before we left the U.S. And he says, where's page six? Like, I didn't get page six. Uh, what was page six? Oh, it's the one document you need to have your visa. <laughs> okay. Well, we're standing in an airport that's like, yeah, it's definitely a third world country. And like, we're, there's no like air print, you know, <laughs> like, I get my iPhone out and air print it somewhere. No, like, I mean, it is literally, there's nothing around. And it's, it's the time when the airport's going to close. And so... Instantly, we're like, uh-oh, what do we do now? Get back on a plane. The next plane's tomorrow, so I guess we sleep in the airport. Either that or God's going to show up with some documentation for us. So I produced the email just to make sure I was right. We never got page six. <laughs> anyway, so, so we, we go through, and we're, we're long lines of people trying to get into the country, and we stand, and I finally I get up to the window, and the missionary's beside me because I ain't speaking. I can speak some, but not like they speak it. So I was going to miss every, every, I would only hear every fifth word. Anyway, so we're standing there, and the man behind there says, produce your documents. So I produce the documents, and she's like, Lord, the only way this works is if you show up right now. That's it. you got to show up right now. Yeah, I, I believe Nehemiah, he had the letters, but there was a point that he had to produce the letter to get what God had for him. And we get there, and whatever that document was, I still don't know because I've never seen it. They never sent me one. So I don't know what the document was, but we're standing there, and he, this guy gets up, walks over, takes all my documents to another person. Another person comes back, sits down, unplugs the printer, does all the reset because obviously it wasn't working. All this mess going on, all this commotion. The guy comes back, sits down, and he says, I want all your papers from everybody. And then he just goes... I don't know what he said, but he was sort of frustrated in his tone, and he goes, bang, 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 bang. Stamped us all, we all went through. I believe that it's because the Lord had that documentation ready. I didn't need to do it. He had it already placed for us to be there. Now I can tell you the fruit of that ministry trip to this day, say hi to all the Bolivian folks who are watching because God was great. He showed up in power and love and changed our hearts but changed their lives and so in that moment the documentation that i needed our team needed otherwise the missionary was the only one staying there it all got approved and now we have 10 years to go back to bolivia because god's hand was upon us so let's go to verse 11 so he has the documents, he's, he's going, and he gets to Jerusalem, he gets to the place, and he begins to see something. If you're, going to, if you're going to revive a nation, if you're going to change, awaken a nation, and change the trajectory of a whole group of people, then you have to be able to hear, 
first chapter, see second chapter. So let's see what he saw. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Now, why is that an important statement? Because I believe that as soon as we release what God has shared with us in an intimate moment, we draw enemy fire. So if, if the Lord tells you that you're going to go do something, I would be very careful at what point and who you share that with. Because even though the enemy is the forever loser, he is still a wise enemy. And he will put things in your path to slow you down from getting to what you just declared. And so it says he didn't tell anybody. He just sort of kept that close to the vest. Nor was there any animals with him except for the one that he rode. And I went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass through. So I went up in the night of the, by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone, nor what I had done. And I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the others who did the work. It is very significant that when we're talking about reviving and energizing and awakening a nation, which I believe we're talking about, if you're not on the thing about saving our country um, and, and getting right with the Lord and fearing God and all that, I think we're missing the season that we're in. But he, he goes and he does this inspection of all the broken pieces. And then he says, now I have a plan. Now I have a plan. God is calling the church for a season of time to inspect the walls of every country around the world in which the church is and begin to make a plan. Let's continue reading verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. There comes a point where God will give you a divine strategy to navigate what he wants you to do. It often comes through inspection of the thing you're supposed to fix. So number one, the bad report. Number two, he starts to intercede. Number three, he has favor with the king. Number four, he goes and inspects everything. And number five, he begins to cast vision for how he's going to change it. Now, I remember uh, it was 2012, I believe, maybe the beginning of 2013, but um, there was this thing going on in, in the school district that I was on, the, I got elected to the school board for, and the vision was very cloudy. I'll do everything very politely, Steve. <laughs> so the vision was very cloudy about what the future of this district would be. And some of the things that were clear were nasty, so um, I, I was compelled by my father-in-law to run for office. 
And so we began the journey of inspecting the vision. Well, when you inspect a vision and you see things that are out of whack, then you say, ah, now I know and I can build a strategy to fix what's out of whack. And so we did. We studied. We, we looked at the numbers. We, we had accountants on it. We were looking at everything and just things didn't look the way they should. And so we decided we were going to run for office. And in running for office, I believe, is probably the one thing that the church has been told not to do, and it was strictly the enemy. I don't care if your pastor told you, but it was the enemy talking through your pastor, because you should be, there should be more Christians, more believers in elected office than anywhere else. Anywhere else. Because we're called to be the legislative branch of the kingdom of heaven, we better be in legislative positions. So... We began to cast the vision of what we thought the solution would be. Now, people can opt in, opt out, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we started casting the vision, and people started buying into the vision, and they were ready to rise up and do something about it. And so we won in a landslide, and that went on for a couple different terms. I want to read to you what, what we agreed to, to serve. Now, I want you to know, township trustee, go be a township trustee. That's probably the most connected position to the people in a county is the township trustee because they're knocking on your door saying you got gravel out on the road and you're going to wreck a motorcycle, so fix it. You know, they're, they're, they're personal with you. They're, they're going to be in your business and they're going to allow you to be able to help them. The second place, I think personally, the most influential place that the church should be is on every school board. And so I wanted to read to you the oath that every Ohio school board member recites when you're elected. Do you solemnly swear that you will support the Constitution of the United States of America and the Constitution of the state of Ohio? Okay, now, if you look at 88 counties, all the school districts, how many, I, I'm not judging, I'm just saying, there are many people that don't agree with those two statements. And yet they affirm them, so we'll continue on. And that you will faithfully and impartially discharge your duties as a member of the Board of Education of the blank school district in blank county of Ohio. To the best of your ability, and in accordance with the laws now in effect and hereafter to be enacted, during your continue, continuance in said office and until your successor is elected and qualified. Do you agree with that oath? And they say, I do. Every elected office in this state has to swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America and the Constitution of the State of Ohio. Why? Because they're covenants, and it is what we ascribe to. They are our founding documents. They're the things that tell us how we live our life. And I believe that it's time for the church to take an oath to defend the Constitution <laughs> against enemies, both foreign and domestic. They should add that in there. Like, it should be in every school board oath to defend the Constitution against enemies, both foreign and domestic. But anyway, maybe we can change that one day down in Columbus. 
Because I believe that there's many people that have been called to these places, but the enemy has said, you don't have the right documentation to be on the board. Well, let me tell you, I remember the first meeting, actually the second meeting, the first meeting was, was interesting. The second meeting was downright terrifying. <laughs> Because, you know, if you're supported by 73% of the people or 78% of the people, and then you go to have a meeting in public, you would expect that 78% of the people that would come would support you. <laughs> no. No. All the people that voted for us stayed home. It was the other 26% that came and voiced their opinion. But I believe in that meeting, the Lord gave me an understanding of Christianity that I never understood. And that is, I've qualified you to do what I've called you to do. I've given you the papers, I've given you the authority, so walk in it. I remember one person in particular shouting out, You're, you've never been in education. You don't care about our kids. You don't know. You're just a business guy. Yeah, well, great. Sometimes we need some business. Sometimes we need to take the red budget and turn it black. And we did. But, but I'm not here to talk about that. What I'm here to read is verse 19. Because in every time that you step out to do what God has called you to do, someone's going to say, you ain't qualified. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Amorite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? You've been in these places. It's not just me. You've been in these places where the enemy begins to rise up. We had an issue that we talked about uh, a couple days ago. Some great things are happening that, are, that I can't bring to you publicly yet, but it's coming. Some great things. God is moving. Things are opening up. And, uh, and just then, the enemy wants to, the forever loser wants to say, I'm going to try to stop this stuff right now. He was called. He was anointed. He was given every credential he needed to accomplish the work that God had called him to. And at that point, he could have stopped. And at that point, most people do. Most people do. But what did Nehemiah say in verse 20? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. The forever loser lost his right when Jesus hung on the cross, was raised from the dead, and he has no voice to stop what God has ordained you to do. The only reason why the world hasn't changed, the only reason why America is the way it is, is because the church has been derelict of duty. So what do we do? What do we do? I love, in, I love in chapter 6, in verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished in 52 days. Everybody was saying they couldn't do it at all. And they did it in 52 days. Everybody said, we're losing $400,000 a year in the school, and we don't know what's going to happen. The state may come in and take us over. And in one year, we turned it all the way 
to black. Why? Because when you're ordained, anointed, and you have the goods, he moves. He moves every time because he's a covenant God. So why do we, why, why, you say, Pastor, why are we talking about all this stuff? Because I believe there's an awakening coming to this world, a billion soul harvest that is coming to this world, and it will only happen if we believe that we have the goods every time we walk out of the door of our house. If you don't believe you have the goods, you'll walk by the person in the grocery store, you'll walk by the person at work, the one that you sat by for 12 years and heard their whole life, and you have an answer, and you didn't say it because you didn't know, you weren't confident that it was the exact right word for the exact right moment, you're going to miss it. The enemy will always try to stop kingdom action from taking place every time. So if the enemy isn't getting up in your business, then there might not be a lot happening in your business. When the enemy comes knocking, when the enemy comes disrupting and toiling and making arguments and doing all this stuff, I try to tell people this, you must be about ready for breakthrough because God's ready to move on your behalf. And the enemy doesn't want that kingdom thing to happen. So let's just thank the Lord that he conquered the forever loser and that we can walk in victory and tell the person that stole that thing from you, you know what, you can talk to the police. It's totally fine. I'm not holding that burden against you. They might. But you know what, I'm not dealing with it because I am not a loser. He's a loser. So I want to say to you this morning, you have the right both legally on the planet as the ecclesia and spiritually to stand and fight for this country. Other generations, the greatest generations of our history stood and, fight on stood and fought on battlefields around the world to protect the freedom that we now watch being taken away from us and no one's rising up. Someday it may be too late. One of my favorite movies, and I'll close with this, one of my favorite movies is called The Patriot. I know it's a long one. I know it's historical, so all, all the historical people are like, yeah, I know that. Everybody else that likes just entertaining stuff, they're like, oh, that's a dud. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you something. There's one scene in the movie when they put the militia in the middle of the line of the Union Army as a decoy but they put him in the middle and they began to march against Cornwallis. And I never understand why they stood shoulder to shoulder and let people shoot at them. But they're marching through the open field and their lines began to seem as if they were breaking. And Mel Gibson saw the flag bearer get shot and the flag fell to the ground. And of course, without cinematic movies, and I don't have the deep voice commentator, you're just gonna have to buy this with me. The music is playing, he runs, and he picks up the flag, and he begins to hold it up in the air, and run forward, and he says, hold the line, hold the line, hold the line. And as he ran forward with the flag, men began to look, they were always taught, look to the flag, Look to the flag, look to the, wherever the flag is, that's where you should be in alignment. 
Wherever the word is, you should be in alignment. And I can tell you that the attack that is coming on the word of God, the attack that is coming on the church, we just have to hold it up. We just have to hold it up. And so he takes the flag and he runs forward and the lines begin to reform together. And behind them came the rest of the Union Army. You see, when, when the South came over the hill, Cornwallis said, we've got them now. We've destroyed their ranks. We've got them. We're going to come and we're going to separate them and scatter them. And as he was watching, the Union Army filled the hole and came forward. Well, let me tell you that when you feel inadequate, when you feel like the walls are broken down, when you feel like things in your life are breaking apart, there's an angelic army there to assist you, Scripture tells us. Battalions and legions of of angels are there to help you and support your ranks. Would you stand with me this morning? The challenge this morning is this. If you have never went after your destiny, if you've never went after the thing to begin to serve, to begin to do things that take you out of your comfort zone, the things you aren't qualified to do, but you know that God has birthed it in your heart, if you've never done that, then today's the day. I believe that every seat in Tuscarawas County could be a believer, And a person who believes that the sanctity of life is important. It only happens if those people run. I also believe that if we would actually say that we solemnly swear to uphold the Bible, the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Ohio, and defend it against all enemies, both foreign and domestic, we would have a revival in and of itself church he's calling us to more he's calling us to so much more than we put we don't just come in this room and hang out together a couple hours a week and and do this thing it's not just about home group it's not just about growth track downstairs it's not just about those things that we do it's about believing in who you are because he's called you to so much more so much more So if you just get in an attitude of worship and prayer, I would like to release this over you this morning. For the Lord says, I am releasing to you a Nehemiah anointing. For I will be placing within you a burden for my kingdom expansion upon the earth. You have watched as the world has declined into wickedness and your heart has been super heavy for those of your land. During this season, I will begin to birth through you a new anointing of divine strategies that are hidden for you, not from you. As Nehemiah, you will move with stealth-like abilities to survey the enemy's hideouts and bring them to light. For in this season, I have been exposing the decay, and now my ecclesia shall hold the line of my justice. For I am a just king. Father, today, we thank you that you have called us to so much greater things than what we even understand at this moment. 
For in this room and watching online, you have many who are supposed to awaken this nation. You have many who are supposed to awaken our schools, our courthouses, our city council chambers. For you have called us to survey the land, to cultivate the burden, to cast vision, and to walk in honor. Today, Lord, we give you all glory and all honor that we may receive the anointing of heaven to see a nation come back to you. No longer, Lord, will the church, this church, no longer will this church be derelict of duty when it comes to changing and interceding and living for our covenant. For you are birthing in us a nation-changing destiny. Father, we give you all that we are and we receive all that you are. Show us today. Give us the words to say. Demonstrate what you'd have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.